The epistle is from Romans chapter 6. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If there was anyone who knew about the misery of slavery, it was Joseph, the patriarch Joseph, the favored son of Jacob, who had been given that amazing technicolor dream coat. Joseph, who was hated by his brothers because he had those dreams where he saw that he was going to be the one to whom they all bowed down. Joseph, who was tossed into a well as they conspired to murder him. And then they did him this small favor that instead of murdering him, his brothers sold him into slavery for some money, for some silver. They handed him over to some Midianite traders who carried him off to Egypt. And there in Egypt, he continued his life as a slave. If anyone was a bonded man, it was Joseph. He was a good slave, and so he earned the trust of his master, Potiphar, He ascended in the ranks of Potiphar's house, a good slave, doing his job well, but a slave nonetheless, not free at all. But then things got even worse for him. He found himself even more bonded when he got into a predicament, or rather he was placed into a predicament. He was a handsome man, that Joseph. Sometimes the Bible tells us that people were good-looking. Joseph was a handsome man, and Potiphar's wife took a fancy to him and tried to get him to commit adultery with her. Now he's stuck between a rock and a hard place, a slave to his master and now potentially a slave to the whims and fancies of this woman who could ruin his life. Stuck between a rock and a hard place, a bonded man, Joseph is a slave. Picture him in that situation and imagine all of the kinds of things that he could say to justify taking the easy way out. He could be really crass and fleshly and say, look, I've had a miserable life. I'm going to indulge my flesh just this once. Indulge my passions. Let's have some fun and throw off all shackles. Let's go. He could have said that. He could have said, I can ask for forgiveness later. I know this is wrong, but I'll do it now and later God will forgive me. He's a merciful and gracious God. I know I can talk to him about it later. He could have said, no one will ever find out. It would be unwise for that woman to reveal this secret, so this would just be between the two of them. It'll be quiet. No one will know what harm will be done. He could have worked it out any number of ways in his head, but of course he didn't. You know that. But even when he said no, he didn't say no in the way that we tend to say no to things. He didn't say, no, your husband will kill me. He didn't say that. 
He didn't say no simply out of fear of the consequences. He also didn't say no because of what he thought God would do to him. No, I can't do that because there'll be hell to pay for it. That's not what he said. Instead, listen to what Joseph said. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? For Joseph, this sin was out of the question. It was out of the question because the only thing that he knew how to do was good things, righteous things. Because Joseph, you see, was actually a free man. Although he was in shackles, although he was bonded and traded like property, Joseph was free because he knew the mercy of God. And so he was free from sin and he was free to do good. Think about that. Think about the kind of freedom that you would need in the face of that situation to be able to say no and not no simply out of fear, but just because you know what is good. That is true freedom. That's the freedom that Jesus wants to offer to us. And so today you should think of yourselves like Joseph. You should think of yourselves as people who are free from sin and people who are free to do what is good. Now, both sides of that matter, the freedom from sin and the freedom to do good. It's not enough just to be free from something if you're not free for something. So pay attention today, not only to what you are free from, but what you are also free for. Now, all of this, I bring all of this up because of what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 6. The entirety of Romans chapter 6, Paul is dealing with a startlingly common problem. It was common at his time, and it is common today. It's one of the easiest mistakes to make about forgiveness. And it goes like this. Forgiveness is freedom from consequences. That's the mistake. So often, people think that forgiveness is freedom from consequences. And you can imagine all of the ways that goes wrong. So forgiveness is thought of as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Well, that was an easy one. That was a freebie. Now I can go on and continue sinning. I'll just, I won't get caught this time. That's what a get-out-of-jail-free card does for you. Or maybe forgiveness is an insurance policy. It's like when you, when you go and rent a vehicle and you're planning on having, maybe none of, this, none of us do this, I know, but you go and rent a vehicle and you're planning on having a, a, a crazy weekend and so you get the full insurance policy on that vehicle and then you say, hey, I can do whatever I want. I got insurance on this vehicle. That's what forgiveness seems to be to so many people. Or it's like a bit of good luck. You, were, you go to the store and you were going to buy all of these things. You were going to buy your groceries that day and you, you get to the checkout line and then you find out it's a sweepstakes day and all your groceries are paid for. Perfect. I was going to buy them anyway, but now they're free. I was going to commit these sins anyway, but now I don't have to worry about the consequences. That is such a tragic way to think about sin and forgiveness. And Paul kind of laughs at it all throughout Romans chapter 6. He says, what? You think that you can say that because of forgiveness now you can sin all the more? By no means. In fact, he uses stronger language than that, language that you would blush to hear from the pulpit. By no means can you sin all the more just because you've been forgiven. Forgiveness does not mean freedom from consequences. That's not enough. Freedom from consequences leaves you a sinner. And it leaves you facing death and the grave and hell. There are two things that are wrong with this view of forgiveness. 
In the first place, forgiveness does not, in fact, mean freedom from consequences. The example I like to use to illustrate this is if I, imagine if I told my kids not to play with the circular saw. A great rule, that's a rule in our house, don't play with the circular saw. And in disobedience to the fourth commandment, they go out into the garage and grab the circular saw and decide to cut some wood. And in the process of that, now I apologize for being kind of gruesome, they cut off one of their fingers. It was a sin, grabbing that circular saw and playing with it. I told them not to, they shouldn't have done it. And now they've lost a finger. I will forgive them because they will be sorry. I will forgive them. They don't get to have their finger back. That's the consequence that doesn't get undone by forgiveness. Forgiveness restores the relationship. Forgiveness restores the broken trust. Yes, but forgiveness does not undo those kinds of consequences. You can hear it in what Paul says to the Romans today. He says, what fruit were you getting at that time while you were slaves to sin What fruit were you getting of the things for which you are now ashamed? That is to say, the shame for the things that they had done before, the sins that they had committed before, that shame still sticks with them. It's one of the consequences of sin. Now, fortunately for Christians, consequences for sin are good. They draw you always back to the source of your forgiveness. They draw you always back to repentance and trust in your Savior. That's where consequences can be a good thing. Every time my kid would be tempted to go out to the garage and grab the skill saw again, guess what? That missing finger is a great reminder of what happened last time I committed this sin. That's one of the main problems with thinking this way about forgiveness. It's not freedom from consequences. And part of the reason for that is this second mistake. Consequences really aren't the most severe problem. Freedom from consequences is not enough. The author C.S. Lewis talked about how when he was a child, he suffered from regular toothaches. Lots of toothaches, but he was afraid to go and ask his mom for some medicine to help ease the pain of the toothache. He says, I know I could could go to her and ask her for for some aspirin, and she'd give me some aspirin, and that would take away the toothache for that moment. It would alleviate the symptoms for this moment, but I didn't do it. I didn't go and ask her for aspirin because I knew If I went and told her about my toothache, the next day we'd be going to the dentist. And the dentist is far more painful than this toothache that I'm experiencing right now. I don't know what that guy's going to do to me. I don't want to suffer those kinds of consequences. I don't want to see that kind of discomfort. You see, just alleviating the pain for a moment wouldn't have been enough. What C.S. Lewis needed, what anyone needs with a toothache, is a remedy to the root of the problem. Much more than just freedom from the pain Freedom from the consequences is not enough. What Jesus wants to give you is freedom from sin. He doesn't just want to erase the marks that sin makes on you and in your lives. He wants to take away the sin altogether. He wants to save you from condemnation. He wants to give you eternal life where there is no sin any longer. And so do not settle for this this silly idea about forgiveness, that it's just freedom from consequences. Instead, instead, hold fast to what Christ says. Forgiveness is a new life. It's freedom from sin to do what is good. Now, sometimes this understanding of forgiveness is used as a justification for sin. Look, 
I'm okay with dealing with the consequences and so it's going to be just fine. Or I'll be free of the consequences and so I can go on ahead. Or sometimes it's used as an excuse simply to avoid struggling with sin. Look, I've got forgiveness. What do I have to worry about sin for? But St. Paul tells us the problem with sin is that it never stays alone. You might think in your life, I've isolated my sin. I've just got this one thing or these few things that I'm going to hold on to and I can kind of keep sin there in this corner, in this pocket of my life. But what does Paul say about sin? Lawlessness gives birth to more lawlessness. Sin never stays alone. There's this great children's book called A Fish Out of Water where the the fish store owner tells the young boy that he should feed the fish only a spot, never more than just a spot. Of course, the kid goes home and the fish looks hungry, and so he gives the fish all kinds of food. And what happens to that fish? You know, do you know the story? I think it's P.G. Eastman. One of these, it's like a Dr. Seuss-style kind of book. The fish starts growing and growing and growing. It's, it's outgrowing the fish bowl, so he's got to put it in the bathtub, and then he's got to put it in the basement, which is now flooded with water, and then he's got to put it in the public swimming pool because the fish is so big. This is what happens to sin. You think you can control it. You think you can keep it ever so small, just in this corner, just this little bit. But lawlessness gives birth to more lawlessness. It's infectious. And that is a reason why Paul wants us to take sin seriously. If you don't understand yourself to be free from sin, to do good, you will only ever dive deeper and deeper into sin. And like I always say to the kids, you get good at what you practice. So the more you practice sin, guess what? The better you get at sinning. And in the end, it will be found out. This is one of the myths about sin that is so often overlooked. Sin is always found out. There's no such thing as a secret or private sin that you can just hold in your heart. It is always found out because it always grows. Sin is not something you can dabble in. Sin is slavery. This is what St. Paul is talking about, slavery. You are either a slave to sin or you are a slave to Christ. All of these false ideas about forgiveness, all of these misperceptions of sin, they are cause for repentance. And so if you have found yourself ever thinking about sin in this way, if you've ever used the forgiveness of sins as an excuse to go on sinning, repent, if you've grown comfortable in your sin, if you've grown comfortable with the idea that you can ask for forgiveness later, or that you've got Jesus sort of wrapped around your finger, repent. Now is the time for repentance. Now is the day of salvation. Turn away from your sin. Don't be a slave to it any longer. This is how you start. And really, you can understand the Christian life as a life of starting over again day by day. Luther talks about baptism that way. What does such baptizing with water indicate? It indicates that the old Adam in us should, by daily contrition and repentance, be drowned and die, which means that your baptism didn't end when the water dried off your head. Your baptism goes on now and on to the day you die, daily repenting and daily trusting again in the forgiveness of sins. There's that great Lenten hymn that we sing, Stricken, Smitten, and afflicted. And when we come to the, I think it's the third verse, I'm always struck by the power, the simplicity and power of these words. Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, 
Here, this is at the cross, here may view its nature rightly. Here, its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed. See who bears the awful load. Tis the word, the Lord's anointed, son of man and son of God. If you want to repent, look at the cross of Jesus and see what he did on account of your sin, what he did to save you from it, what great cost he paid for your sin. It is not worth it for you to keep it Instead, let him have it. He is glad to take it from you. Confess your sinful attitudes about sin, your misunderstandings of forgiveness, and then consider your lives. Ask yourselves whom you obey. This is what Paul is talking about. You obey somebody. Either you're going to obey Jesus or you're going to obey your flesh. Either you're a slave to Christ or you're a slave to sin. You're a creature. You're created, you're limited, so you're always serving someone. And when you discover in your life that you are not obeying Christ, repent. Repent and turn again to the forgiveness of sins. Don't shrug it off. Don't say, I'll deal with that later. Instead, say these words that are in our right of private confession and absolution. Say, I am sorry for this and ask for grace. I want to do better. Now that is a beautiful prayer. And it is a prayer that Jesus hears with mercy, and it is a petition that he wants to grant. Jesus wants you to be free from sin, and he wants you to be free to do good. Freedom as a creature, freedom as limited creatures like us, is not what the world thinks of as freedom. The world thinks that freedom means not having to obey anybody, doing whatever it is that you want. That's not how freedom works for creatures. Imagine it like this. A fish lives in water. A fish needs water in order to survive. Now, the the proud and pretentious fish might say, I'd like to be free of this water. But what does freedom from water mean for a fish as it's flopping there on the shore? It means death. Sure, that that fish could be free from water, but it is not freedom at all. Instead, it is slavery and death. The same thing goes for you and me. You have been called to freedom in Christ. Your life is in Christ, apart from Christ and his commands and his forgiveness and what he says is good. Life apart from that is death. It is not freedom in spite of all of the alluring and enticing things the world has to say, in spite of the memory that your flesh has of those days gone by when you were once a slave to sin. Listen to how Paul describes it. It was a fruitless time, shameful, and leading to death. Leave that all behind. Let it go and instead cling to Christ, the one who has set you free to do good, to live righteously, to live in peace, to live in holiness. He has taken the burden of your guilt on himself. He has restored you to your heavenly Father, and so live as people who are free. If you fast forward from that scene in Joseph's life where he's not really struggling but dealing with This problem in front of him, Potiphar's wife trying to entice him. If you fast forward to the end of the story in Genesis chapter 50, you see Joseph seated in what's the palace of Pharaoh, second in command in Egypt, a man who has accomplished a great deal in the course of his life. Really, if you looked at him, you'd think, here's a free man, finally. He's got all the power, and his family has been restored to him, and he's stored up all of this wealth in Egypt so that he can serve the world. There is a free man. But the story goes on and draws our attention 
to something that is overlooked in this world, something that is undervalued in this world. Joseph's father dies, and his brothers, who are haunted by the shame of what they have done to Joseph, come trembling before Joseph, and they say, we, we know what we did to you. We know we sold you into slavery. And they essentially say, we can only presume that you want to kill us all and that you were just waiting until Dad died. And now that Dad died, we're afraid. Please forgive us. In fact, Dad said you should forgive us. And what does Joseph say to them? He says, am I in the place of God? Is it mine to take vengeance? Is it mine to repay? You plotted it for evil, but God has worked it out for good. Joseph forgives his brothers because he's free. Not free because he's in Pharaoh's palace, not free because he's wealthy, not free because he got everything back that he lost, but he's free because he has received mercy and so he knows what is good. Free from taking vengeance, free from indulging his flesh, free from having to try to make things right on his own. He is free. That is true freedom. If you want to know if you're free, ask yourself if you can show mercy the way Joseph does. Ask yourself if you've received mercy the way Joseph has. That is the true freedom that Christ wants to give to you. It's all bound up in the cross of Jesus. And so if ever at any moment you find yourself struggling, struggling with your slavery, struggling with sin, struggling with temptation, struggling with shame, struggling with guilt, struggling with wondering whether or not you are in Christ's favor, look at the cross and see what he has done for you to set you free. You've been loosed from the power of sin and the devil. Nothing can harm you. The devil can't hurt you. The grave won't be able to hold you. Eternal life awaits you. Live as people of God. Put your trust in him and hope in his salvation. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen. Amen.